0: To begin our time this morning, I'm going to read from Psalm 119, from verses 105 through 112. Psalm 119, 105 through 112. This is what David the psalmist writes. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. I have solemnly sworn to keep your righteous judgments. I'm severely afflicted. Lord, give me life according to your word. Lord, please accept my freewill offerings of praise and teach me your judgments. My life is constantly in danger, yet I do not forget your instruction. The wicked have set a trap for me, but I have not wandered from your precepts. I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. I am resolved to obey your statutes to the very end. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Mike. You guys can open up to Matthew 7 where we'll be talking about the path and the doorway, the narrow versus the, the wide and the difficult versus the broad. It's um passage from Psalm was interesting to me because of how well it lines up with this passage today how well it lines up with what Jesus um taught and it, there's such a large span of time between David and and Jesus and the reality is that the doorway and the road has been difficult throughout all human history David walked a road that was incredibly fraught with danger and deception. There were wolves along the path, and that was stuff that he had to deal with, and that's stuff that we still have to deal with today. It's just it's very relatable. So today, as we continue through Matthew 7, um, we're going to start about talking about the narrow verse, the wide gate, and the broad verse, difficult paths, um, to talk about why the gates are narrow um, or broad, we must first identify what the gates signify, what those gates are. You'll notice there's a difference. It's not just one single path. It's a gate and a path. And so we need to um, identify what the gate itself is. In this case, we see the gates are the entrance used to access different ways to walk through life. Different ways to walk through life. And only two are given in this passage, in this example by Jesus. And um, one leads to destruction. We're going to see that one actually leads to destruction. Um, You could view it as the big, broad path that has a cliff at the end. It's nice, wide, and open, but you're only going one way. And at the end, you're falling off a cliff. One leads to destruction. The other to life. And when it talks about life, this is a full, eternal, exuberant life. It's everything that everybody desires internally. From life, there's an instinct. We have a desire for this higher level of life, this perfection. Every human has that built into us. And according to Jesus, that difficult path leads to that destination. It leads to that resolution. It leads to life, exuberant life. The narrow obviously represents God's option. Imagine that, Jesus giving God's option as the narrow difficult. And it's very narrow. When it says narrow, it means very, very narrow. An easier way to think about how narrow this is might be to put um, the example into numbers, which in God's narrow gate, that number would be one. One option. One way. Onto that path. Just one. And that one happens to be Christ himself. Crucified on our behalf. It's a very, very narrow option. It's a little bit more than that. It's also the one way that Jesus took, which was literally God's will, God's plan, God's direction. That's the way that Jesus took. That door is opened to us because of Jesus. The wide represents everything else (laughs) everything that's not god's option very very broad to use numbers again um, that's probably an incalculable number you probably can't actually calculate what that number would be all the different ways to live your life and it's an ever-expanding number all boiled down to one gate or one option which is simply not god's option that's how it all boils down you could look at it as a million different ways, or you can view it as all one, not God's. And Jesus claims to have the answer. He himself, Jesus, speaking to this crowd up on the, the um, over Galilee, doing the Sermon on the Mount. This is his claim to an answer. And that it is a final and correct answer. He's claiming that it isn't like peeling an orange. There aren't 10 right ways to do it. It's more like a compass. That this one option is more like a compass. It isn't correct if it's not pointing north. It's the point of this door. It isn't correct if it's not pointing north. There's only one way. Jesus is saying that life is that way. There's a correct way and an incorrect way. The question is, and I really had to think about this because I've met people in my life that would actually answer this differently. I've actually had people sit across from a table from me and answer this question, not in a way that most of you probably will answer this question. I think most of you would answer this question the same way I do, which is, do we care and do we desire to walk the correct way? Do we care if we're doing, if we're doing it right? Does that matter to us? I think for most of us in this room, it does, but I have to propose the question because I have sat across from several individuals in my life that looked at me and said, I don't care. I don't care if I do life right. I'm done trying. I gave up. As we dive into the text this morning, um, that is the question that I have had to ask myself, and I'm now presenting to everyone hearing this. Do we care whether or not we're walking life the correct way? I would answer that yes, and yet, thanks to flesh and sinful man, I think there are times, and and you guys probably relate to this, there are times in my life where I do kind of give up and let go. So, on a personal level, do we really care if we're doing it right? The path to life is not just narrow, it's also very, and (laughs) I should emphasize, very costly. Very costly. The path to the right direction is extremely, extraordinarily costly, but it was freely given to you and to me. Freely given. The cost is beyond our understanding to give up his life for us. Jesus, the perfect son of God, who called himself son of man, to relate to us, to give that up. The cost of that is so high. To give us that path that we can choose to walk or not was so costly, but for us it's free. So for anybody who maybe is sitting here with that objection in their mind of I can't, it's free. You don't even have to get a job. (laughs) It's like, it's free. That's really it. So let's open the text this morning by reading the first two verses. In Matthew chapter 7, we're down to verses 13. We're going to go through verse 20 today. Um, and we'll get through the, the pathways and then we'll get through the wolves. But um, to start, let's talk about the first two verses, um, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. This is Jesus' command to his disciples who are around him. Um, and, disciples meaning any who are following after him, not just the 12 apostles. But enter through the narrow gate, he says, as a command. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. That used to terrify me as a kid. I'd read that and few find it because immediately I would put a number to that. It's like, oh man, I'm probably not part of that few. What are the odds that I would find it? Like that would scare me. It's like, oh, there's so many Christians. that Surely, surely some of us have it wrong. Well, if you look across all humanity, all earth, all history, what I finally came to the conclusion of as a young man is actually even in here, this is a very small percentage of Kootenai County. (laughs) And worldwide, there are massive, massive portions of the planet who are completely detached from the gospel. The gate really is few. The, um, The narrow gate really is few that have walking through it. But there are two elements to each path um, that are mentioned. The gate, which is wide, um, that would be like whatever we want it to be. That's what we see in society. When I said there was a lot of options, really what that boils down to is whatever you want, whatever your preference, whatever you come up with. You see, because all of religion and society and political and every way of life that has been Um, constructed here on earth has been man-made other than the gospel of Jesus. And what we claim, if if it's true what we claim, that this is the holy word of God, that Jesus is God, that God's word is really just that, the word of God himself, then what we're claiming is that this is the one and only true God-made way of life and that all the others is just what somebody wanted at that point. It's just what some person wanted at that point. Whatever way of life they came up with, was some version of their desires. The problem with that is that no human is perfect, and we all know this. If everybody is honest with themselves internally, no human is perfect, and so therefore, whatever version of life you come up with, you're going to mess up. You're not going to do it right. You're going to fall off the path at some point. You're going to harm somebody. You're going to do something wicked. You already have. You're going to do it in your way of life. You're not going to do it perfectly. If we do it ourselves, our compass will not always point north. The uh, whatever you want it to be mentality is not new. Um, Consider Judges 21, verse 25, very last verse in Judges. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Judges went through that. The children of Israel went through that off and on throughout history. This is nothing new to humankind. We have this desire to do what we want to do. We really want it to be that way. We choose for ourselves. Even here in America, we struggle with that. It's my freedom. I want it my way. I'm not saying we shouldn't have freedom, but I'm saying walking life. If we're just doing it at free will, we're going to screw up. If we're not following something that is greater than ourselves, if we are not following a way and a will that is greater than what we can accomplish. And that's still the mentality we see in the world today. And so my thought was, why is that? Is there something so very appealing about doing whatever we want that the lifestyle has taken the world by storm and worse, taken some of us right out of the fight? Why is that so strong a temptation? Why is that such a strong desire for humankind? And if it's taken some of us out of the fight, um, why? What's taking us there? What's going on in our lives that is taking us there? Have we grown so tired and so weak as to give up? Do we feel inadequate due to sin? Do we simply not know what we're called to be doing? Do we fear the consequences of doing what we're called to do? Do we fear, excuse me, the consequences of doing what we're called to do? Is there fear involved? Ellie mentioned um, in her prayer, and I've been feeling this myself, as a a very, very um, young father. My son is only six months old. Um, She prayed something along the lines that um, if there was any fear of inadequacy, or um, equipping, or qualification to adopt a child, that that would go away. I think fear grips us all the time. So then, allow me to encourage you guys and myself with this reminder that already before us, and I can say this because no one in this room is older than 2021-ish years old, I believe, (laughs) that nobody in this room is living without an example, that our Christ came and did all of this before us. He walked that hard path before us. He followed God's will perfectly before us. He was exhausted, and God supplied him. He asked, and God guided him. And when the road was laid out before him, he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He was handed over to be beaten to within an inch of his life, a crown of thorns pushed onto his head, a heavy wooden cross placed on his back, man-made nails driven into his hands and feet, mocked until the life was drained from his body. (laughs) Why did I say encouraging? (laughs) Because he did all of that so that we would have the option of a gate and a path that doesn't end in destruction. He did all of that so that we could walk it to an end in life. In life where we're not exhausted anymore, where we're not wrecked by sin anymore, where we're not dragged down by our own desires anymore, where we are perfectly following God's will. That's the end of it we get to see the finish line and the finish line only exists because Jesus walked it first perfectly. That to me, that inspires me. That's why it's encouraging because that inspires me. That means when I look around and I say the world's messed up, this road is so hard, I'm getting beat beat down by the things that I know I'm called to be doing, the things that is um, God's will for my life when I'm exhausted with that. It inspires me to think that that's because I'm right. This world is broken and that there is an answer and that Jesus is that answer. It's what gives me the courage to get back into prayer with God who made me and get back to what he's called me to do because I ain't dead yet. If Jesus did it until death, and if we have the same supply, you understand Jesus pulled from the same supply that you and I have. He came to us to be perfectly relatable, to walk the same hard path. He has the same supply. If we have that exact identical same supply, then so can we. We've got breath in our lungs. We're not done yet. Don't give up. Don't choose the broad gate, the wide gate and the broad path. If we find ourselves giving up, we must stop. And I mean this, and this has radically changed my life in in the way I approach exhaustion. If we find ourselves giving up, we must stop whatever we're doing in life and take time to read through the gospel, actually slow down, and be inspired back to vibrancy by Christ's incredible, once-in-an-existence victory overall. We get to choose the narrow gate. We can choose the hard road that Christ walked, and we only ever get one opportunity before we die to do it. We get one life to suffer in the way for Christ, the way he suffered for us. The whole rest of it, spent in eternity in perfection, no longer an opportunity to suffer with Christ in the same way. Once this life is over, the suffering's gone. Praise God. But also, that means we get this cool opportunity to walk the hard, narrow path that Jesus walked once in our life before we're done, before we're gone. Along with inspiring us to walk the hard path, he also warned about those that draw us from the path. It's, it's, it's kind of an interesting thought. When I compartmentalize this in my head, I pictured like a gate. And if you didn't walk through that, you weren't going to have any interactions with anybody else. That's not how life works. We choose this harder path to walk through. But the reality is there are still wolves in sheep's clothing who are walking around, who are desiring to pull us from the path, typically to play on our inward desires already and he warned us about those that would draw us from the path and I, th- I think they're a little more subtle and effective than we even realize our self-focused human flesh already wants the easy path where do you want that if you want to test that out ask someone when their last vacation was you'll probably see a longing look in their eyes a distant longing look in their eyes similar to that of a drug addict that's <laughs> <As> a <laughs> That's just what, including me, including me. Like, that's that's just probably the look you're going to get. Like, oh, yeah, went to the coast last year, did nothing. We want the easy path. Our internal desire is longing for it. And so I think it's subtle the way the enemy comes at us. So he, Jesus, says in verse 15, be on your guard. It's a very active thing to be on your guard. It's not a passive thing. Sometimes people think of guard as passive. It's not. It's active. Actively be on your guard, ready. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. Now, this is not someone who is obviously against the gospel. That's what makes it difficult. This is someone who looks like a sheep. This is somebody who proclaims God. We're going to see later when Jesus is talking about the the sheep and the goats, there's going to be those who, you know, calling him, Lord, Lord, we called you, we called you Lord, we cast out demons in your name, we perform miracles in your name. There are those who claim Jesus and are false prophets. They look like sheep. Someone with enough of the right things to say to be convincing. But inwardly, They're a wolf. Funny thing about a wolf is a wolf can't grow a sheep pelt. They can put one on, but it's not going to be real. It's not going to be genuine. There's a telling marker for these wolves, and Jesus gives us the telling marker. He gives us the answer. says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. By their fruit. Very specifically, one thing. Not by... um, Well, yeah, just buy their fruit. I'm not going to say anything else. Just buy their fruit. That's what he says. And then he asks, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. So you'll notice he listed a couple of things in there. First off, what a good and a bad tree will do. Good tree will produce fruit. Bad tree will not produce fruit. Um, And then also what they can't do. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. It's interesting. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. So not only... If you're in Christ and you're walking this path, do we have this guarantee that he's going to supply us, that he's going to fill us, that he's going to lead us? In this fruit analogy, there's also this guarantee that as we're walking in his path, where we're listening to what he's calling us to and doing what he says, walking this hard path, that he guarantees we will produce good fruit. We're a good tree, we're producing good fruit. It's It's not even something that we will be able to control. we're following him it's just going to happen it's just naturally going to come out of us the good fruit will just happen because we're a good tree but those who are wolves in sheep's clothing are incapable of producing the good fruit so we'll know them by their fruits every tree that doesn't produce good fruit in verse 19 is cut down and thrown into the fire so what is to be done with bad trees? You get rid of them. You walk into an orchard and eight out of 10 trees are producing fruit. Guess what's happening to the other two? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to warm up somebody on a Christmas morning. That's, that's, just, <laughs> that's the reality of it. It's good hardwood too, those fruit trees. Uh, burns great. Um, that's just the reality. So that means that all, here's another part of encouragement. That means that all the wolves will be dealt with. All the false trees will be uprooted and burned. We are not merely, well, we are not at all tasked with their judgment. That's not for us. We are not responsible for making sure they're taken care of. It's not our part. Merely with not being taken by them. Not being taken by them and guarding each other against them. Verse one, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. The fruit is the key to unveiling the wolves. I I like what Barclay had to say about this. Um, He points out one very simple fact about a false prophet, and he says the basic fault of the false prophet is self-interest. The reason why I love that is because of what we have, and I, I do this so much, I compartmentalize too much, and then I forget about the context we're going through. Think about the list that Jesus has been preaching about what, the, what it means to be a follower of God, what it means to be um, a, a disciple of Christ. Think about that list of things. You see, the wolves haven't chosen the narrow door or walked the hard path. Therefore, they will not produce the fruit that comes from walking that path. That path is difficult and it naturally produces a certain type of fruit. So if they haven't walked that path, they are not going to contain these certain fruits. They won't be humbled by recognizing and mourning over their own sin. They won't hunger and desire after righteousness. They won't show mercy. They won't be pure in heart or peacekeepers. Who are um, the fruit of their lives won't match the words from their mouth. That list we've been going through. What it means to walk this path, the reason why this path is hard, because it means I have to actually care and mourn over my sin. It means I actually have to be humbled before people. That means I actually have to be a peacekeeper. If you've ever had to be a peacekeeper in a difficult situation, you know that's a narrow, difficult path, and it would be easier to just not be a peacekeeper. That means that I have to desire and hunger after righteousness. I have to show mercy. I have to be pure in heart. That is a difficult, hard path. And walking that path with God produces that fruit. If they haven't walked it, that's not the fruit they're producing. And we're to be on guard for that. We are supposed to identify those missing markers in believers around us who claim to be believers. Prophets, teachers, counselors who claim to be of God and are not containing these fruits. To me, that's kind of scary because I don't contain all these fruits all the time. I'm not always a peacekeeper. I'm not always merciful. I'm not always gracious. I'm not always pure in heart. I'm not always living the fruit. And that scares me. Because you guys are supposed to look for somebody up here who is speaking these words and doesn't have that fruit. That's terrifying. And we're supposed to do that for each other not just about Mike up here, me up here, all of us. If we proclaim God in our lives, is this fruit actually evident in our lives? And if there's somebody in this room that's a wolf that's not producing any of this fruit, we have to be on guard for that. And I've seen that happen. I've seen individuals in this body identify a wolf in the past in ministry before anybody else did and took care care of business. And I'm grateful that God gave them that insight. We're called to be on guard for that. And the best way to recognize a wolf in sheep's clothing is to be a fruit-bearing sheep yourself, ourselves. That knows knows inside and out what it means to act Christ-like and then spend time with all the other sheep. Eventually, you'll pick up the scent how it works. We know what the fruit is because we're living it. We know. And so when someone's coming up without the fruit, we start to recognize that something's missing. And that's the old classic banking example that I heard from time from when I was little in churches We hear all the time that the way that you catch counterfeit bills is not by studying counterfeit bills, but by studying good bills all the time. Know what the good fruit is inside and out. Then you'll be able to spot the false fruit it'll be visible and obvious to you, obvious to us. You guys, the key to all of this, the key to walking down the hard path is the reality of Jesus' costly sacrifice on the cross. Is the reality that um, he came in and took care of this walk first, did it perfectly to give us this road, this available, difficult road for us to walk The encouraging thing is we do it together. We do this together. We walk side by side. We walk hand in hand and we recognize the fruit or the lack of fruit in each other and we come alongside each other and we encourage each other to be fruit bearers. If I'm not always being a peacekeeper, I need Mike or any of my other close brothers to come alongside me and say, why aren't you a peacekeeper anymore? You've been a peacekeeper before. Aren't you merciful right now? You used to be merciful. Why aren't you hungry for righteousness anymore? You used to have this hunger for righteousness. And then I have to be quick to respond, recognize, identify, agree, and then go straight to God with it. So where does the motivation come from to do that? Because it's a heart thing, and if it's not genuine, it won't be real. So where does the real motivation for that lifestyle come from? We've been talking about this whole time. It's the gospel. It's Jesus' blood poured out. It's our recognition of our own sin. And Mike talked about this gap uh, a week or two ago. Our recognition of our own sin, as that gets deeper and deeper, and we recognize how much holier and holier God is, we fill that gap with the gospel the reality of Jesus, when I recognize that he saved me from my sin because I recognize how bad my sin is, I put him higher and higher and I revere him more and more and he inspires me more and more through his love. We love him because he first loved us. That is what inspires me. That is what invigorates me to get up and do this again tomorrow because I still got breath in my lungs. That's the motivator. And today we get to share in communion. And I love that. Here's our narrow gate. Here's our narrow gate. We get to remember exactly how that narrow gate became available to us this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And we're going to um, we're gonna take communion together. The way that's going to work, the way we like to do that here is the elements are here. They'll be available. You guys can come up and and take them at free will during the worship. If it feels weird to you to not be singing with the worship band, I promise you, it's not weird. These guys sound amazing. They like just spend time with God. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul does, um, along with instructing the church on communion, Part of that was he strongly urges everyone involved to um, search their own heart before partaking communion, to make sure that they're on path with with uh, where God has them going, where they're supposed to be going. And so I want to encourage you while, while the worship team is playing, I'm going to pray us out of here. And then as the worship team is playing, as you, as you come up and you grab the elements, don't go to communion and remember Jesus until you have your heart right with him. Spend some time in silence. Spend some time talking with him and working it out. Lord, I pray as we um, come before you to worship you and praise your name, first off, that you would be honored by our praise, that you would be glorified by our, wor- by our worship because you're so worthy of it. You're so worthy of our praise and worship. Jesus, as you uh, walk to this path before us, It wasn't even just the final moments that were difficult for you. You lived a whole life being just assailed on all ends through spiritual warfare, through physical difficulties. You did all of this for us, and you did it all as a man to be relatable to us. You are so worthy of our worship and our praise. We thank you. We love you. We seek to live um, as you lived. Continue to supply us for that. And Jesus, says, this, this morning, we remember you again.